Last August, I had a, actually, um, it was probably about June, probably. I, I got a text from a friend, and he told me that somebody from his home church was going to be coming to La Palma to visit. It was a young man that was studying apologetics at Biola and needed a home church while he was studying for his master's. Creighton Coleman stopped by in August. I'd almost forgot, actually, about this text. But he stopped by in August, and it happened to be on a Sunday night that we were doing our Honor Star crowning. Now, Honor Star crowning is a big deal if you have somebody in Honor Stars, but for somebody like Creighton, that could just be really, uh, you know, not so exciting. But Creighton came, and I, I, I got to introduce myself to him, and I took him to lunch not very long after that, and I just, I just opened our church doors, and I said, you're, you're certainly welcome to come and worship at La Palma Christian Center, um, and if you, if you decide to stay, let me know how I can help you. And Creighton stayed, and boy, he has really just grafted in to La Palma Christian Center, so much so that I felt like I wanted to invite him to come and do an internship over the summer. And you have far exceeded my hopes and what I expected um, out of an intern, Creighton. I really feel God has just connected you not only to La Palma Christian Center, but I, I felt God connect you to my heart and to my family. And um, you will just forever be tucked away in my heart and in my mind. And uh, I, I'm so thankful that God did send you here to La Palma for the short time that you are studying. Today is actually Creighton's last day of his internship, and so I have yielded the pulpit, and I've asked Creighton if he would come and share the Word of God. Would you let Creighton Coleman know how thankful you are that he's come to be our internship? You got your mic on? Yep. So before I do anything, uh, I want to take the opportunity to uh, just say thank you um, to the staff uh, for allowing me to serve you. Uh, you know, you passed a lot of things my way that I really could have messed up, um, and I think it would have mattered if I messed it up. Um, I also want to say thank you to the entire congregation uh, for opening your arms and uh, giving me the opportunity uh, to serve each, each and every one of you. Um, my, first, my first week here, I don't think I ever could have imagined being this involved, uh, feeling this at home here. Uh, just like Pastor Steve said, I came on a Sunday night. Uh, we had Sunday night church in Wichita, so I figured it would just be a regular service. Um, but I walked in, and I saw the Honor Star crowning decorations, and I almost turned around and left. Um, but I decided to stay because I wanted to meet the pastor. And I remember sitting right over here. It was about 10 minutes early, thinking it was a, a relatively neutral place to sit. But joke was on me as the high school age girls crowded in around me. Uh, it, it became incredibly awkward because, right, I, I look everyone else's age, but I am not. So I'm just the creep who came to Honor Star Crowning and sat with the high school girls. But I'm glad I made it out of that without the creep label put on me. But uh, 
I know that no matter where I go, uh, no matter how far in the future, I can always look back and honestly say that this has been a testament of God's faithfulness in my life. Uh, that how your church, this church has treated me, uh, has been an experience of the value of the local church. And I truly believe, I truly believe that God is here and God has been with me while I've been here. And, and I do believe that my life would not have been the same if I didn't get involved here. Uh, because God, God still uses the local church and still works in the church and uh, expects each and every Christian to be involved in the church because Christianity is not meant to be done solo. Christianity is meant to be done as a congregation so that we can all share our relationships with Jesus. When Pastor Steve came to me and asked me to take the internship over the summer, uh, the first thing that came to mind was uh, that I play, I play slow pitch softball in the summer in Kansas, and first base is not going to play itself, so I don't think it's going to work out. But uh, I decided to go ahead and take the opportunity. I thought it was too good of an opportunity, and my dad um, called me an idiot in advance for not taking the opportunity. So uh, with, with the internship, I was given many opportunities around the church to help out, uh, to serve. Uh, one of those, I got to baptize a couple people. That was a good experience. And uh, despite what you might have heard, I, I think intern baptism still counts. Uh, but I could, I could be wrong. I'm, I'm open for uh, argument on that one. I also got to spend two full weeks at camp. I got to go to a kids camp and a youth camp. Uh, I was kind of dreading going to the kids camp. I thought there were going to be a lot of issues, you know, just kids. Uh, they don't sleep. They touch you too much. And they're, they're too loud. But, but the, ex the funny thing is those weren't issues at kids camp. All of those issues were only issues with the high school age boys at youth camp. They would not get their chubby sausage fingers off of me. So I, I got touched, I got yelled at, and uh, it, was, it was a good time. The thing I worked on the most, uh, even though I, I think I, I did something in every single ministry at this church, from shadowing missionettes and Royal Rangers to uh, working with the youth group, I, I also got to work with uh, life groups quite a bit. And uh, Pastor Moses is leading that up right now. And he's done a fantastic job. You know, he got that put on his plate. And he's had great vision for life groups, even though, even though it's something in addition to what he already does. So I don't know if Pastor Moses is in, is in here, but let's show some gratitude for the work he's put into life groups. This, uh, this upcoming semester of our life groups is going to be the best semester we've had yet. And that's because of the vision that Pastor Moses has put into everything. Uh, we have a new series coming up. It's the uh, Grow series. The, the main idea is that as Christians, we're meant to grow past the point of salvation. Uh, Jesus calls us to him, and we're meant to be saved, but that's not it. Uh, Jesus loves each and every one of you just as you are, but he does not want to leave you just as you are. He wants to grow you because even though the world has things to offer you, God has far greater things to give you, and he wants to grow you so that you can accomplish those things for the kingdom. This Grow series is a, uh, is a push for our life group ministry. So each, each week we'll have a new, a new idea of why our life groups are so important. 
Uh, mine this week is uh, that we should grow in knowledge. And being the nerd in seminary, I, of course, got the sermon about knowledge. But I truly believe that life groups are a great conduit for that growth. They allow us to discuss deep ideas, to ask questions, and to grow in our knowledge of Christ so that we can become stronger Christians and have a much stronger faith. So one place where I see this call to grow in knowledge is in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. Colossians 1, 9 through 14. Paul writes, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, for he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the revelation that you've given us. God, we ask that your spirit would be with us today, communicating to us. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts and open our minds so that we can grow in you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So has anyone heard of the book, uh, All I Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten? Anyone uh, read that book? Uh, I think a pastor wrote that book, and it's supposed to be a pretty good book. Uh, the main idea is that everything we need to know about things like relationships and uh, interacting with people, we learned in kindergarten uh, because we don't turn into jerks until about third grade. So, um, so, so we can use what we've learned in kindergarten in everyday relationships is is what he's trying to communicate. However, I think oftentimes we take this attitude of everything I learned, uh, everything I need to know I learned in kindergarten, and we apply it to every other part of our lives. We apply it to our own relationship with Christ, that everything I need to know about Christ I learned at the point of salvation. Uh, and I think this is a, a big mistake. Now, I do want to make something clear before I move on. Uh, we are saved by faith. It's not your ability to know a concept or to know a certain word or to know facts about the Bible that saves you. It is your faith in Jesus Christ alone that saves you. And I'm thankful because there's a lot that I do not understand. And I don't want my salvation hanging on my ability to understand. But that is not a reason why you stop at salvation. You should continue to grow in Christ and grow in your understanding of Christ. And we need to learn important concepts, things like how, how should we be reading our Bible? What, what do we know about God? And can anyone agree with me that it is possible to read your Bible wrong? Uh, it is something that can be done. I, I heard a story of a woman. Uh, she was involved in an affair. She was a married woman, and she had... Uh, you know, had a relationship with another man. Uh, she was praying about whether or not she should leave this man, and she uh, asked God, you know, God, what, what should I do? So she felt like she should go to the Bible and determine what it said. And all, all too often, like many people, she took her Bible, and she likely just set it on the spine and let it open, maybe rubbed it like a magic lamp because that's how she thinks it works. Uh, and it fell open, and the words, the words she read that decided her decision or that dictated her decision were uh, put on the new man. 
So it's obvious for us to see that that's not, that's not what's being said. That's not what the Bible's saying. Uh, however, she took those words as a message only for her from God. And that's not how we should read the Bible. We need to be reading it with context. And I think she makes it incredibly clear that knowledge is necessary. Above all else, we need to be growing in our minds. And she also shows that context is incredibly necessary. Whenever someone comes to me with a question uh, from the Bible, something they want to know, you know, Creighton, what, what does this mean? Um, there's not really a magic formula for figuring it out. You know, you read the paragraph before and the paragraph after, and most of the time you can just figure it out because the context shows what's happening. Now, I think our passage in Colossians has some context around it that really reveals what Paul is trying to say to the church at Colossae. He says in 1, 3 through 8 is his thanksgiving for the church. And what he does in this paragraph is gives thanks for their salvation, for the Colossians' salvation in Christ and their willingness to come to know Jesus. And then directly following this thanksgiving in verse 9, Paul says, for this reason, directly before he begins to explain that we need to grow in knowledge. It's because we have been saved that Jesus wants us to grow in knowledge. It's because we've come to know Christ that we need to continue to progress in our knowledge of Christ. Otherwise, our faith will continually be weak. Oftentimes, there's a general assumption that the more spiritual you are, the less you need to think. And I think uh, this can be rampant in Pentecostal circles sometimes, that, uh, that there's an anti-intellectual anti streak um, but I think this is more of a dangerous idea. You know, if we think we cry at the altars, then we don't really need to think anything through. Uh, but this idea is dangerous and does a couple of things. Uh, first is that it, it devalues thought in the church and makes the church a place where we aren't allowed to ask questions. Uh, we are all bearing witness to a mass exodus of young adults from the church. Uh, people graduate from their youth group and they do not find themselves as members in the church. They find themselves in secular areas where questions are constantly raised regarding their faith. With this culture in place, the church is not a place where they can ask those questions. The church is not a place where they can get answers. And so what we're seeing is that they go somewhere else to get answers. They take the answers that they get because the church is not giving correct answers and correcting false answers that they're getting in the secular arena. The second thing this does is it isolates each and every one of us as Christians. Rather than being in a community where we can come to know Christ together, this idea that we don't need to rely on any form of Christian thought that has taken place makes us by ourselves. It's me, my Bible, sitting in a room talking to Jesus. Each generation we have to reinvent the faith. We have to reinvent the wheel and come up with new teaching each time. But can we say amen to the fact that we have saints and martyrs that we can stand on today who have done the work for us and have thought out these difficult concepts. It's not our job as Christians to come here and redo 2,000 years of Christian thought each time we gather. It's our job to stand on the ground and the foundation that has been built so that we can reach new heights rather than redoing what's already been done. This mistake goes farther than just implicating the church. I think it implicates our personal walks as well. 
As Christians, each and every one of us are called to a rehumanization process. And what I, what I mean by rehumanization is that we have been dehumanized. We were created in the image of God for the purpose of being in relationship with God and living a perfect life with God. When sin came into the world, we did not become more human. Oftentimes people believe that their sin is what makes them human. Uh, their deficiency is what makes them human. Uh, however, if you took the sin away from a human, they would not be any less human. In fact, they would be more human because they would be able to have that relationship with God. The process that we're called to is to become human again so that we can be in relationship with God. And this begins with the renewing of our minds. Romans 12, 1 through 2 says it like this. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Oftentimes people stop there and they say, yeah, I'm supposed to worship. I'm supposed to sacrifice my body at the altar, you know, do shake or whatever. Verse 2 says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Philippians 1, 9 and 10 says it like this. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. Now, I, I do want to make a distinction uh, between knowledge and wisdom. When I speak of knowledge, I don't just speak of retaining information. I don't just speak of uh, your ability to say the books of the Bible in order. I speak of your wisdom and ability to discern between what is good and evil. We need to be able to determine what in our society is positive, what is Christ-like, and what is not, so that as Christians and as the church, we can become parts of our society and correct those things. Now, uh, I, I do wish uh, we had a place where we could get together maybe three times a month in groups and discuss some of these issues so we could really determine, you know, as Christians, what, what is good and excellent and what things are like Christ. Uh, I do think, you know, Pastor Steve, I think that would be a great ministry to have something that facilitates discussion. Uh, that, that's our life groups. Our life groups are there so that we can all get together as Christians and discuss these things. We can ask questions. We can have a safe environment where we can bring up objections that we've heard, where we can bring up things that we're dealing with and that we are experiencing. Uh, despite what you might think, each life group, I know at my life group at least, we don't just sit in a circle and hum. Uh, it's not the super spiritual, uh, well, we're just going to lay hands on each other's knees for an hour and a half and that's that. Um, it, it is in-depth discussion. It's an actual, real environment where people show up uh, so that we can have these discussions. If we don't have these discussions, the church becomes vulnerable to false teaching. Every Christian institution that has fallen has fallen because of false teaching on the inside. If you think of the great Christian institutions of the United States, places like Harvard, Yale, and Princeton, were all conservative Christian institutions that eventually fell not because of attacks from the outside, but because of false teaching in the inside that was compromised on, that was compromised on over and over again. And they, they don't come immediately with Jesus isn't the son of God. 
There's small compromises that take place, and once we compromise on those issues, false teaching begins to roll so that larger things are compromised on. So we get to the point where our largest previously Christian institutions are no longer Christian institutions, but secular institutions that no longer even teach that Jesus is the Son of God. And quite frankly, I don't want the church to be in that same place. The church at Colossae was subject to some form of false teaching, and that's why we see Paul writing to them. Now, if we don't have a well-developed understanding of who Christ is and what he did, then we won't be able to know when that false teaching comes. 2 Peter 3, 17 and 18 puts it like this. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Oftentimes, we make the mistake of judging a ministry and doctrine based on the effects of that. You know, how many people are there? Are good things coming from that ministry? But can anyone agree with me today when I say that Jim Jones had a growing church before he moved it across the equator? The effects of doctrine are not necessarily found in the amount of people that go to a church. Oftentimes, false teaching can be pleasing to the ears. People will tell you things like, you can have your best life now. The world will give you everything you need, and God wants to bless you right now. Now, I do believe God wants to bless you, but God's eternal blessing is not meant for you on this world. God's blessing is meant for you in eternity, not here. How we evaluate things needs to be based on doctrine, not its direct effects. We need to be able to read through, determine whether or not the teaching is what the Bible is showing us. If we can't do that, then we're going to have to reinvent the wheel each time a new generation comes about. Another great thing that our life groups do is we go through solid curriculum. I had the privilege of doing the research for our curriculum for this semester. And I can tell you firsthand that we have read through each and every single page that you're going to discuss. The topics being discussed are very in-depth, and there might be some issues that people are going to have differing opinions on. But I can guarantee you that none of the teaching and anything we offer is going to be something that will lead you astray. What we've done is created bumpers, more or less, so you can stay on that path, so you can learn what is right, and so you don't get pulled away by unprincipled men. And I think that's a great function of life groups. Knowledge is completely necessary, but it's also transformative. Our passage from Colossians says that we grow in knowledge so that we, we may walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord. But I'm sure everyone can agree when I say that not all knowledge is good. Paul goes on to say in verse 121 that although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds... Prior to salvation, our minds are conditioned against God. We're hostile towards God. We are quite literally his enemies. We cannot fathom the goodness of God because our hearts are so bad prior to salvation and faith in Christ. We've set our minds as enemies of God. 
and sin dwells in our minds and in our souls. And let me, let me take a sidebar. I say minds rather than brains on purpose because we are all more than a pink mushy thing inside of our skulls. We each have a soul, and that's where our sin resides. That's where our sin dwells and infects us and eats away at us prior to our knowledge of Christ. So it's at that same place where we need to take that sin head on and come to know Christ in our minds and in our souls so that we can remove that sin from our lives. Knowledge transforms our faith. Ambrose Bierce defines faith as belief without evidence and what is told by one who speaks without knowledge of things without parallel. And I'm relatively confident in saying that he was not a Christian. But what he's describing is only superstition. He's not describing faith. We have reasons to believe what we believe. We have historical evidence that shows us Jesus existed and Jesus rose from the dead. And I'm thankful to say today that Jesus existed in the same sense that Abraham Lincoln existed. And Jesus was killed on a cross in the same way that Abraham Lincoln was killed in a theater. We have solid historical evidence. I think many times we look at that evidence and look at things in the Bible as stories. Maybe like a bedtime story we've heard. Something that, well, it's true, but is it true? Right? Uh, but that, that's a dangerous way of looking at things. Uh, we need to be looking at this as historical evidence. This is history that we're reading. Inside of the Bible, this is history. These are events that actually occurred. Now, strong faith requires us to recognize the truth think it through carefully, and allow it to permeate our lives. When we're able to recognize the truth found in Jesus, it's able to permeate through us. It's able to begin to change us. The Holy Spirit comes to live inside of each and every one of us so that we can begin to turn away from sin and so that that knowledge can begin to transform our actions. As we come to know Christ's sufferings and the will of God more, we will be transformed in each of our actions. Ephesians 4, 20 through 24 puts it like this. But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Sin is a problem of the mind. Now, I do want you to notice the verbiage that Paul uses here. He says that we learn Christ. Christ is not some great thing that's imparted to us directly. It's something we have to progressively come to know. If we abandon knowledge, then we're not going to be able to determine the will of God or the will of Christ. And we will not be able to discern what is good and what is evil. Now, one great function of life groups is that no one there is perfect. Uh, you might not like to hear this, but the struggle you're going through is not unique. Uh, you might feel it as if it was unique, but I can guarantee you today that there is someone else feeling the exact same struggle as you. Going through that struggle or better yet, someone who has gone through that struggle and has found the way out. One function of our life groups is that we are able to discuss these issues so that we can share solutions and problems. 
so that we can come to know, yes, what I'm doing is wrong, because people can share that. We can come to know solutions and ways of getting out of that sin, because people can share that. When Christians gather in communities, we find more strength in Christ, because that's the way it was intended, and our life groups are serving that function. As Christians, we're meant to connect with other Christians. If we fail to do that, then we're not fulfilling the purpose that Christ has set out for us. And we will continue to live in our own sin. Now, we've determined that knowledge is necessary and that knowledge is transformative for our lives. But the third thing that I want to impart to you today is that knowledge is thankful. Knowledge of Christ's sacrifice causes us to give thanks. The last portion of the passage in Colossians says this, uh, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. A true understanding of grace, a true understanding of the free grace that Jesus gives can only cause one reaction, and that's thankfulness. I've had people tell me that they, they don't like theories of atonement. Atonement is just the idea that Jesus paid for your sins when he died. He atoned for them uh, because it makes them feel guilty that someone had to pay for their sins. But I think there's an inherent misunderstanding in what happened on the cross with this idea. If you feel guilty, it's generally because you believe you could have done it yourself. Someone else just did it for you. However, in the case of the atonement and in the case of what Jesus did for us, it is literally impossible for any of us to re-win or reprove our righteousness or even to pay for our own sins. Let me explain it like this. Oftentimes people look at things and they, they look at sin as a, a giant window with panes of glass. Each sin maybe punches out one pane of glass. And if at the end of their lives there are more glass panes than broken panes, then they're good, right? They're going to go to heaven. However, uh, that, that's not the case. Uh, Paul uses the word qualified, uh, that Christ qualifies us. And I think there is an inherent implication that means we are not qualified on our own, that we cannot qualify ourselves. One sin is enough to break the entire relationship with God. Oftentimes people in many other religions believe they can do enough work to get into heaven or to pay for their sin. However, let me explain it like this. Your job as a human is to be perfect all the time. So when you do something good, you're doing your job. So when you sin, you're not doing your job. So please, someone explain to me how doing your job pays for not doing your job. You can't do anything greater than your job because your job is to be perfect. Another way of explaining it is that if a man is a good husband for 20 years, that does not erase the one time that he came home, slapped his wife across the face and said, your cooking stinks. Uh, that, break, that breaks the relationship. We have a relationship with God that is law-based. When we do one thing, the relationship is broken. Being a good husband, even if he's a good husband for 20 more years after that, does not correct what he did because shalom is broken. Uh, shalom is, is just a Hebrew term for balance, a balance in relationship. Uh, I tell my girlfriend that she's broken shalom and she gets mad at me uh, often. <laughs> now, uh, 
This idea of shalom is that we do have balance with God. And without Jesus, it could not have been corrected. Paul goes on to say that Jesus is whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. And Christ does a couple of things. He, he first imparts his righteousness to us. We can never be good enough to stand in front of a holy God. Christ lived, an act, he lived a perfect life. This is his active obedience. He followed the law of God and followed the will of God. And because his righteousness was perfect, it's imparted to us. He gives it to us. When we stand in front of God, rather than God seeing our filthy, filthy righteousness, he sees the righteousness of Jesus, whom we have accepted in faith. The second thing he does is he takes the punishment for us. Sin does not go without punishment. We serve a holy God, a good God, a loving God. We also serve a just God. When someone breaks the law, there must be punishment for justice to be served. And uh, Jesus took that punishment for us. Only God could have taken that punishment. No man could have taken that punishment for everyone. If a man died on a cross just as Jesus did, it would have been the punishment he deserved. No angel could take that punishment for any man because an angel is an uninterested third party. This is a dispute between man and God. The only being that could have taken the punishment was a God-man. And are we thankful today that Jesus came to earth and humiliated himself so that he could die on a cross for all of our sins, so that he could take the pain that was intended for us and move beyond so we could move beyond in Christ, move beyond our sins. The punishment that Jesus took was intended for us, but we could not have taken the punishment for everyone else. Uh, only Jesus could, because it was God who came and took that harm and took the punishment and bore that harm. One thing that I constantly see in life groups is uh, grace working. I see grace changing people's lives. Uh, I lead a life group on my, uh, of my own, and uh, people come with real issues. Uh, they come and present real problems. And I see an understanding of the grace of God growing in each and every one of their lives. I see a new thankfulness sprouting from them because they know that they aren't guilty any longer. The grace of God removes that guilt from us and implants thankfulness inside of us because we know we never could have done what Jesus did. We know that the grace of God is free and intended for each and every one of us. And I truly believe that this grace continues to transform believers as they go throughout their lives. And I see it happening. I believe that God still wants to change people's lives with this grace. That he wants to move in people's lives. That he is able to move in people's lives. I believe that God is still the God of miracles. That God is still the God of the Old Testament. He's still the God who parted the Red Seas and tore down the walls of Jericho. God is still the God who loves each and every one of us and wants to move in our lives so that we can move beyond our sin and come to know him more and more. It's because of grace that we are free. And I see that on display in our life groups. If you aren't involved in a life group, uh, I encourage you, I encourage you to get involved. Uh, we have a fair 
going on today that Pastor Moses has put a lot of work into. Uh, there are games, free food. You can probably even uh, dunk a pastor or something. Uh, or an intern. Hey, when, when I step off this stage, my internship's over. Uh, <laughs> um, but what, one thing I want to do before we go is uh, I, just, I just want you to consider something. Um, I want you to consider uh, that you don't have it all figured out. I want you to consider that there is more that you can learn. I want you to consider that you might benefit from other Christians. And if you find yourself saying today that none of these things are true, I want you to consider that other Christians might benefit from you. If you are convinced that there is nothing you can take from life groups, I implore you to get involved so that you can give, so that you can serve someone else and give the knowledge that has been given to you. Father God, we thank you for moving in our lives. God, we thank you for loving us in our sin, but God, for not leaving us there, for not wanting us to continue to live in sin. Lord, we understand that we are not meant to live in sin. Lord, we're meant to be transformed. God, to be rehumanized because sin takes our humanness from us. Father, we thank you for the sacrifice you gave. And Lord, we thank you for your church. God, I pray that each and every one of us would have a new passion for the church and a new passion to see the church grow. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your time. In your name we pray, amen. for our intern, Creighton Coleman. Amen. Wow. That's a great word. That's a powerful word. I said he's like a greyhound shooting out of the race gate, isn't he? Boom. He's a house on fire. And he's only 23 years old. Now, he looks 15, but he's 23 years old. He looks like a tall 15-year-old to me. But what goodness is packed in there? I mean, it's amazing, Creighton, the gifting that God has put in you. And as I said to you in the first service, as you let God lead you, there are great, great things ahead for you. And we want to commit ourselves to you as a church to assist you along the journey be it in Southern California hint hint or in Wichita, Kansas or who, who knows only God knows where he might plant you but we, wanna, we want to help you along the way and um, we just are so grateful for your life Amen I was going to ask for Pastor Dave, and I don't know where he went. Pastor Jim, bring this up. Come here, Creighton. We want to uh, just say thank you. I've asked all the pastors to give me a list of their favorite books. This is a little starter library for you. And um, there's a few from me, a few from Pastor Dave, Pastor Jim, 
Uh, Pastor Moses, I think Karen has contributed a few books. There's an Orange County Starbucks mug and a La Palma Christian Center uh, tumbler. It's just our way of saying thank you from the staff. But I want you to have an opportunity as well. Internship, interning um, doesn't pay much. <laughs> because part of the pay is the learning. And so we, give, we have given Creighton a little bit every week for two months. But it's a little bit. So now we have an opportunity as a church to come together and bless this young man and thank him with a love offering. And so I want you to do that. And remember, you're planting in soil. You're planting in prepared soil that I know is going to produce great, great fruit. It's already producing good fruit, but imagine with a few more years and some more knowledge being poured into him, the great things that are ahead. Would you help me and, and give a generous offering saying thank you to Creighton. If you're writing a check, write it to LPCC, please. Don't write that to Creighton. We want to make sure that he gets one check from the church, but he's getting the entirety of the two offerings that we have received today. Amen. Creighton, I want you to stand here. We're going to pray over you too and anoint you with oil. I want our pastors to come. I do want Pastor Dave in here. If you could run and get him, please. Let me have my elders as well. Come on, ushers. Just a great heart, too. Karen and I had the privilege of having Creighton in our home many, many times, and he just, he just became part of our family so quickly, too. And I believe that your landlord is here. Is Kitty here? Kitty and Joe, it's nice to have you folks with us, too. They've opened their home to, to reach out to a, a, a young man that's going through Bible college. And may God bless you richly for that kindness, and it was nice to have you in service with us as well. Oh, you already got your bathing suit on. You're ready to go. Well, guess who I'm going to have pray over our... We're going to pray over this offering, but I want you to pray over Creighton today, Pastor Dave. Look at those legs. I don't know if you can pray or not. My Lord. Would you mind standing? We're going to multitask here. I want you to stretch forth your hand and your faith, and let's just really pray a blessing over Creighton today. Father in heaven, we are so grateful that you allowed Creighton to come into our lives and to this church, Father. We thank you for such a blessing that he's been to the different ministries, God, and to the different families and to the different friends that he's connected with. God, I pray your anointing to rest upon him, God, for your future holds so clear, God, the steps that he needs to take. Father, I just pray that you would reveal that to him with clarity, and God, that you would just give him the passion of your heart, God, to continue in the work of the ministry. God, we thank you for our time with him, God, and I just pray your blessings upon him in all of his endeavors. We give you to him, Father, and we say thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Just to give a little direction here before we all uh, go outside and go to our life group fair, I want to encourage everybody to come and check out our life group fair and, and sign up. Uh, we have booths. Every single life group out there, uh, our facilitators have worked hard to uh, create a game, a, a carnival-style game. 
So I encourage you to go check out their games and see what, they, what they're doing because they've been working hard. Uh, we have a dunk tank. Pastor Dave is going to be up in there first. Um, and so uh, we are, we are going to charge $2 uh, to play the dunk tank game. And the reason we're doing that is because we want to raise some funds for our life groups to offset some of the curriculum. And so uh, the other thing, we have a lot of food out there, all right? So I encourage you, if you go out to eat, if you go to Pizza Hut, if you go to wherever, uh, Chipotle, I don't know where you go. But if you go somewhere, don't go there today. Eat our food, all right? We have tables out there set up where you can sit down and fellowship. Um, don't forget to sign up. We got these booklets uh, sitting on the Welcome Center. If you want to grab one and see what curriculum we have going on, I encourage you to do that. There's also an information table out there. Uh, one of our booths, Stacy One, is sitting out there. If you have questions about child care, if you have questions about our life group, she will answer the question. Okay. If you would like to check out online, we also have signups at lpcc.org backslash life groups. Okay, if you want to sign up online. So uh, thank you for coming out today. Uh, have fun at our fair. Dunk a pastor. Dunk a board member. Uh, make, it, make it a day. All right. God bless you guys. Thank you. <laughs>